This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. If you need a copy of the Scriptures this morning, you can raise your hand and an usher will bring you a free copy of the Bible. We're continuing our Galatians series this morning and looking at five verses in the heart of Paul's encouragement to them to live by faith in the Son of God. If if you're new, uh, Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, He's writing to a group of churches in modern day Turkey. And what had happened is Paul had preached the gospel to these churches and these false teachers had come in and they were adding requirements for these Gentiles to become Christians. They were turning to, the Galatians were turning to a different gospel, a false gospel, and Paul, in his love for them, wants them to return to the true gospel, which is received by faith, not by these works and requirements that were being added to the gospel. So that's kind of where we are in Galatians 3. Our text for this morning is verses 10 through 14, but we're going to start reading in verse 7, just to give us a little context, because Paul's in the middle of, of an argument. He's, he's defending that, that salvation is by faith. And so let's begin in Galatians 3, verse 7. This is what God's Word says to us this morning. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here's verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. How can we enter into the blessing that comes from being included in God's people. There is a blessing that comes from knowing God, from being in the family of God, from being a son or a daughter of God, and to be 
cut off from God is to be cursed. From the moment God created a people for Himself, the nation of Israel, God instilled in them this notion of blessing and curse. In Deuteronomy 27, as they were crossing over the Jordan into the promised land, God's people, Moses instructed God to do this, to break them into two groups. You have to understand this is over a million people crossing over the Jordan into the promised land. And as they enter into this promise that God had given them, that He would, that he would free them from this slavery in Egypt and bring them into this promised land, they're entering in. And as they enter in, God instructs them to divide the people into two groups. They're in this valley, and there was mountains on both sides. And He said one group is going to go up on one mountain. And the other group, the other half of the people is going to go up on this other mountain. So they're going to be facing each other with this valley in the middle. And they would call out to each other, one to the other, these blessings and curses back and forth. So one side would say, blessed are you when you obey the voice of your God. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Blessed are you when you worship the Lord your God alone. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. Blessed are you when you honor your father or mother. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother. Blessed are you when you uphold justice. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Just imagine the effect on this nation as this scene unfolds. These blessings and curses would be ingrained in their minds. I mean, just imagine this morning, if everybody stood up, we're not going to do this, but if everyone stood up and we cut this auditorium in half, we said, you guys, you're going up against this wall, you half are going up against this wall, and you're going to yell at each other back and forth. And we'll let let this side yell the blessings, right? Blessed are you. You guys look like the cursing side. So we're going to make you guys yell the curses. And you're standing there and you're yelling, blessed are you if you do this. And this side yells out, well, cursed be you if you don't honor the Lord your God. Now multiply that into over a million people on these mountainsides, yelling back and forth these blessings and curses. Every man, woman, and child understanding the blessing of knowing God and the curse of being cut off from our Creator. This is what is at stake in Paul's message to the Galatians. Because in Galatia, these Judaizers, these false teachers that Paul is combating, they have come into the church and they have climbed into the pulpit. And they are yelling at the church, here is how you are blessed. The problem is is that their blessings are actually curses. It's not bringing blessing to the church to be put under this law and these requirements. It's actually leading them to be cut off from the Lord their God. And Paul says, no, no, you have it backwards. This is not the way to blessing. This is how one is blessed. This is the path of blessing. So here's our main point this morning. God's blessing comes only through faith in God's cursed Son. God's blessing comes only through faith in God's cursed Son. You could say it in the negative also. 
You could say God's curse comes through every other attempt to make ourselves right with God apart from Christ. Here is the path of blessing and here is the path of being cursed. They're going to have two points this morning from our text. We're going to start with the bad news, the negative side, and then we're going to end on the good news because that's what our text does. So point number one, the curse of failing to keep God's law. The curse of failing to keep God's law. Look down with me at verse 10 once again, where Paul says this, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Paul is going to point out two problems with what these false teachers are teaching. And the first problem he points out is those who rely on works of the law. See that word rely there. Good works are still good. The problem is not with the law. He's addressing those whose confidence in being a part of God's people is based on their obedience to God's law. Their hope, their confidence, their assurance is dependent on their obedience. I'll never forget this story I heard about a man painting his house. He was painting uh, the eaves underneath the eaves of his house. And so he had to climb up on his roof and he had to figure out a way. He couldn't lean over the roof and just reach over and paint like this. So he had to figure out a way. His ladder wasn't tall enough. So he had to figure out a way to hang over and paint the eaves of his house. So he's a very creative man. He found a rope. Uh, He had a harness. And so he put this harness on. He attached himself to this rope. The problem was, as he was on his roof, he couldn't find anything to secure the rope to. So being a very creative guy, he went to the front of his house and he looked around and he tried to find something to secure this rope to. He couldn't find anything that was strong enough. And so he went into his garage, pulled out his car into the driveway, and he anchored the other side of the rope to the bumper of the car. And then he went back, he went up on his roof, put his harness on, hooked himself up to the rope, hanged over the edge and started painting his eaves. I'm sure smiling, thinking, look how creative a genius I am. The one thing this guy failed to do was to inform his wife of what he had just done by anchoring himself to the car. It's a true story. So his wife comes out, keys in hand, walks around the front of the car, gets in the car, starts it, and starts driving down the driveway, pulling her husband over the roof, down the roof, and down the other side. Now the moral of this true story, other than husbands growing in communication with their wives, (laughs) is that you are only as secure as that to which you attach yourself. You're only as secure as that to which you attach yourself. And what is happening here is they're attaching themselves to works of the law. And he's saying relying on works of the law for our salvation is like anchoring ourselves to a moving object. And rather than bringing a blessing, it actually brings a curse. It yanks us over the house, down the other side, great injury when we attach ourselves to our works for our salvation. Relying on our good works for our righteousness is a cursed path. 
Now, why is that? There's a second problem, he says here in verse 10. Paul quotes, look down at verse 10. He quotes Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. These false teachers are selective. Right? They're saying, okay, here's the things we're telling you you have to do if you want to become a Christian. And Paul is saying, listen, if you want to go back to the law, you have to obey all of it. We can't just piecemeal our plan of good works so that we feel good about ourselves and impress others and impress God with what we do. He says, if you're going to rely on the law, then we have to do all of the law. And you may be saying, well, what's, what's the problem with that? The problem is we can't do it. That's what Paul implies here. Listen, if you want to go back to the law, you have to do all of the law. And the problem with that is no one can obey all of the law. The fact is, because of sin inside of us, we fall short. We fail. We disobey. We cannot perfectly obey all of God's law. And so we are cursed. Okay, you want to say this is what it requires? Well, go try to do that, but you have to do all of it. You can't do all of it, and you're going to be cursed. That's why in verse 11, Paul says, look down at verse 11, he says, listen, it's, it's evident, it's obvious, no one is justified or made right with God by the law because no one can do it perfectly. If we were justified by the law, no one would be justified because the law is not a means of justification. That was never its purpose. The problem with the law is not the law. The problem is our sin. God's standard is perfect. We sang about it this morning. God is holy, holy, holy. To enter into His holy presence requires that we are perfectly righteous. God requires no less than total obedience to the entire law. James 2.10 tells us if, if we fail at one point of the law, we become accountable for all of it. Which leaves us in a horrendous place. Because no one has obeyed the law perfectly. We've all gotten angry. We've all lied. We've all coveted what others have. We've all been discontent. We've all lusted. We've all loved other things or other people more than we've loved God our Creator. We have failed to keep God's law. Read through Romans 1-3. through And you'll see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jew or Gentile, both are under sin. Some people may obey some of the law some of the time, but nobody can obey all of the law all of the time. And that's God's standard. And the punishment for failing to keep God's perfect standard is God's righteous curse. And so we're cursed. We are cursed if we are relying on our obedience to the law. This is what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. This is question 84 in the Shorter Catechism. It says, What 
does every sinner, what does every sin deserve? Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. This is the irony of these false teachers is that by advocating obedience to the law as a requirement, they were not escaping God's curse, but actually bringing it upon themselves. Those who think that by doing the law can make themselves right with God are deceived. Now let me bring, let me bring some application to us today. Because I don't think anyone probably this morning would say, I'm attaching all my hope to my obedience to the law. I've never been to a community group where we're having a discussion and someone says, now listen, you live by faith. I'm going to live by the law, okay, pal? Like I'm attaching myself to the law and that's what I'm going to do. I've never heard anyone say that, but subtly it often sneaks into our thinking and our hearts. We would never say that out loud, but so many of us live like that every single day. No one is explicitly teaching or saying this, thank God. I don't think we have any false teachers at CCK saying this is what we have to do, obey the law to be saved. But every single one of us drift into this thinking continually. Listen to Jerry Bridges in his great book, Transforming Grace. He hits the nail on the head when he says this, we are all legalistic by nature. That is, we innately think so much performance by us earns so much blessing from God. It creeps into our hearts. It, it, it wiggles its way in. It slides its way into our hearts and our thinking where we begin to think, if I read my Bible, if I pray today, if I do these good works, if I'm patient with my kids, if I'm kind to this coworker, if I just quit thinking these thoughts that come into my mind that are just wicked and evil, if I stop doing those things, if I, if I, if I, write in the blank, then God will bless me. And if I fail to do this, 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 or this, then God will not bless me today. We innately slip into this mindset. And when we do, we are relying on works of the law for God's blessing. We are slipping into this mindset. And the reason this is a cursed path is because of God's blessing. We're dependent on our performance. There would be no blessing. You would not have a blessing from God. Listen to Jerry Bridges once again. He says this, if God's blessings were dependent on our performance, they would be meager indeed. We're always to some degree looking out for ourselves, guarding our flanks, protecting our egos. It's because we don't realize the utter depravity of the principle of sin remaining in us and staining everything we do that we entertain any notion of earning God's blessings through our obedience. And because we don't fully grasp that Jesus paid the penalty for all our sins, we despair of God's blessing when we failed 
to live up to even our own desires to please God. Though we may not have any false teachers at CCK trying to lead us astray, this text is very applicable to us today because we have the false teaching that comes from our hearts continually. Analyzing, evaluating, measuring our performance and believing God's blessings are attached to it. It's just what we do. We are innately legalistic. We say, how have I done? And here is how God is going to respond. By withholding blessings or giving me blessings. And the only two places, when we get into this mindset, there's only two places that we can land. It's either pride or despair. Because it's based on what we do. On good days, we think we've earned God's blessings and we're proud. And on bad days, we think we forfeited God's blessings and we're discouraged and we live in despair. Righteousness through obedience to the law is a curse path. doesn't lead to joy. That's, that's the bad news for these false teachers. Here's the good news. Point number two. The blessing of faith in the cursed Christ. The blessing of faith in the cursed Christ. Here's the good news. There's another way. There is a blessed path God has given us. Our blessings from God are not based on our performance, but on the infinite merit of Christ. And this never changes. It doesn't go up and down day by day. It is fixed. Look down with me at verse 14. We're going to skip ahead a second to verse 14, and then we'll come back. But verse 14, Paul says that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. The blessing of Abraham is this covenant promise all the way back in Genesis that God made with Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. This is the context of verses 7 through 9. That's why we read that section. He's talking about how do we become a son or a daughter of Abraham? How do we enter into this promise that God has that all the nations would be blessed. How are we included in the people of God? If you are a Gentile, if you are a non-Jew, how do you become a child of Abraham? And the question is, do we become a child of Abraham by doing or by believing? And these false teachers say, well, it's by doing. You must be like Abraham. You must be circumcised. You must come under the law. You must obey the law. And Paul says, no, it's not by doing, it's by believing. It's by faith in Christ. The blessing of Abraham come to us through one man, Jesus Christ. And then the mark, he says in verse 14, of being a son or daughter of Abraham is not circumcision. That's not what we must do. The mark of being born again is the promised Spirit through faith. This is the mark of the Christian. 
All of us, men and women, are filled with God's Spirit and His presence. This is the mark of the Christian. And this is for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, every race on the earth can come into this blessing through Christ into being a child of Abraham. And all the nations, everyone on the earth, can be blessed as God promised. This is what's at stake here. And it's by faith, he says. Look at verse 11. Listen, it's evident. No one's justified by works of the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. This is the blessed path. Faith. Faith alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. A righteousness based on the law is something sinners can never achieve. But a righteousness by faith is something sinners can achieve because by faith, the righteousness of Jesus is credited to us. I can't obey God perfectly, but I can believe in Jesus and I can rely on Him for my righteousness. And I love this verse. When, he, when, he, when Paul says the righteous shall live by faith, he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. And this verse, Habakkuk 2.4, is so significant today on the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation because this is the verse the Lord used to transform Martin Luther. Luther encountered this verse when he first became a monk and it perplexed him. It bothered Luther. He couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure out what it meant that the righteous shall live by faith. This went on for years. Uh, There was one season when he, as a monk, he went through a dark period of illness and depression. And Luther was on in his bed most of the day. He was very sick. And he kept having these pictures and these visions come to his mind of himself being under the wrath of God. He was so sick and so ill that Luther thought he was dying. And he kept repeating to himself over and over and over, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And he couldn't figure it out. And it was driving him crazy. He he didn't get it. He He didn't understand how that could be true. Not long after he recovered, Luther went to Rome on a pilgrimage where he visited the church of St. John Lateran. And this church had a staircase in the front of it which was alleged to have come from the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate. And so it was believed that the steps to this church in Rome were stained with the blood of Christ. And so the Pope he promised an indulgence of forgiving the sins of any pilgrim who would climb the steps on their knees while praying and stopping to kiss the steps. And Luther desired assurance that his sins were forgiven. He didn't want to feel like he was under the wrath of God anymore. So Luther began to do this. Just picture this. This is Martin Luther, dressed like a monk, on his knees, on these, the, these, these uh, rock steps, 
And he's climbing them on his knees and he's bending down and he's kissing the ground. And he's praying to God. And he goes up the steps and he goes down the steps on his knees. And he goes up the steps and he goes on the steps on his knees. And no assurance is coming. No pardon has found its way to Luther yet. And he's doing this. And he's going over and over and his, his knees are getting weary. He's wearing holes in his cloths. He's kissing the ground over and over and over. Listen to how Luther's son retells what happened next. He says, as he repeated his prayers on the Lateran staircase, the words of the prophet Habakkuk came suddenly to his mind. The righteous shall live by faith. Thereupon, he ceased his prayers. He stood up. He got up. He returned to Wittenberg and took this as the chief foundation of all his doctrine. It took crawling up the steps on his knees and kissing the ground for Luther to realize how ridiculous it is to try to earn what Christ has already earned for us. And listen to what Luther said himself. He said, before those words, the righteous shall live by faith, broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with Him. But when by the Spirit of God I understood those words, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. Listen, this morning, if you are weighed down with your failures and sins. If you feel like knowing God is a burden, that He is a taskmaster whom you can never please, if you feel like you will never measure up, if you're, try, if you're tired of trying to make up for past failures to earn God's blessing, if you are weary, if you if you need to feel born again like a new person, listen, the righteous shall live by faith. Let God's Word sink into your soul. The righteous shall live by faith. Believe in Christ. Turn away from your works, the good and the bad. Put your trust fully in Christ. Attach yourself to Him and what He has done and you will feel born again like a new person. Trust Him. He is a sure anchor for your soul. It is never going to move. It's never going to bring curse to you, but only blessing upon blessing and grace upon grace. The righteous shall live by faith. And the question might come up, certainly did for Luther and for Paul, how can you be so sure? Right? Just by faith? I just believe? That's all I have to do. That was the question that the Christians asked. That's how Christians still ask. That's all. There has to be more. There has to be something else we have to do to enter into this blessing of being the people of God, how do you know? Well, look at verse 13. This is how Paul knows. This is how he knows it is by faith. 
because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. How do we get out from this curse that our sin has brought upon us by disobeying God's law? We can't get out from under this curse. We can't do it. And so God did what we could never do for ourselves. He sent His Son Jesus, born of a virgin, born under the law, and He redeems us. He buys us back from sin and the curse of the law. And the only way He could do that was by becoming a curse for us. Sin must be cursed. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse. If God is to remain holy, 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 then every sin must be punished. Once you have disobeyed God's law, you are accountable for all of it. And there's no amount of work that you can do that can get yourself out from the curse that you have created by disobeying God. And so what did Jesus do? He became a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so they put nails through His hands. They put nails through His feet. They pressed a crown of thorns into His head, mocking Him. And they said, look at the Messiah. He's cursed. He is a cursed man. How could He be the Savior of the world? Look at Him hanging on a tree. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And they mocked Him. That's why the Gospel message was so offensive to the Jews. It was placing our trust in a cursed man. And you will never understand the Gospel and what Jesus has done for you, if you do not realize you are already cursed. You have brought a curse upon yourself and either you are going to be cursed or He is going to be cursed for you. Those are our only options. Listen, sinner, you have only one hope of removing the curse and the wrath of God from upon yourself. That is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way other than by faith. And what's so crazy about this is that the law's penalty didn't apply to Jesus personally because He is the one man who never broke God's law. Remember how I said nobody could ever obey all of the law all of the time? That wasn't exactly accurate. There was one man who did obey all of the law all of the time. That was Jesus Christ. He was the only one who earned God's blessing by obeying God perfectly. And yet, He is the one who is cursed for us. And this is what happened. As He is being cursed for us, God was taking all of our sins that He had to curse and He was placing them upon Jesus as He hung on the tree. God wasn't just men cursing Jesus. It was God cursing Jesus 
And he's taking his perfect obedience and righteousness and he's placing that on us. That's why it's by faith. By faith, this exchange is happening where our curse goes on him. He becomes cursed for us and then his righteousness comes to us. This is what Luther called the fortunate exchange. Luther wasn't much for understatement. I think that is an understatement. The fortunate exchange. Listen to Luther one more time this morning. Luther said, So long as sin, death, and the curse remains in us, sin damns us, death kills us, and the curse curses us. But when these things are transferred to Christ, what is ours becomes His, and what is His becomes ours. Let us learn, therefore, in every temptation to transfer sin, death, the curse, and all the evils that oppress us from ourselves to Christ. And on the other hand, to transfer righteousness, life, and blessing from Him to us. O Galatians, This is the blessed path. Oh, Cornerstone, this is the blessed path. Faith in Christ. This is the only way we enter into the blessing of being the people of God. This is how we become children of Abraham. This is how we receive the promised Spirit. This is our only hope. And let us never, by God's grace, turn to a different Gospel. Till our dying days, may it be by faith alone that we are saved. Let us never pin the filthy rags of our works to the perfect work of Christ. It is finished. When Martin Luther was 62, he traveled to his hometown of Eiselbin. He was serving a family there. There were brothers who were in conflict and he was serving them by by going to help them be reconciled. And and it, it worked. They were reconciled. But because of the travel and his workload, he grew weary and he grew very sick. And Luther was sensing that the end was near. He knew he was dying. In his last moments, Luther was asked by his friend Justice Jonas, do you want to die? standing firm on Christ and the doctrine you have taught. When I heard that, I remembered when they stood in front of the council and said, do you recant? And Luther couldn't do it. He's asking him, do you want to turn away from your faith in Christ? Do you stand? Do you want to die standing firm on Christ and the doctrine you have taught? And Luther answered emphatically, yes. And his last words were, we are beggars. This is true. What Martin Luther had when he was 62 was the same thing he had when he got up from those steps in Rome. A changed man. He had faith in Christ. That was his confidence. That was his hope. That was his firm foundation. That was the anchor for his soul a righteousness that was not His own. And this morning, you can have the same hope, the
the same faith, the same anchor for your soul. God's blessing comes only through faith in God's cursed Son. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.